You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Luke chapter 11, week number two in our foundational, essential, critical, fundamental, vital, and indispensable series, House of Prayer. Last week, we began with Jesus flipping over tables, almost shockingly, running people out of the temple, only to declare with all the authority you could ever imagine, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Remember, Jesus cleaned house to commit his house, and we are called to protect his house. The single greatest way, loved ones, that we protect the house of God is by becoming houses of prayer built on the word of God. I want you to believe that. The single greatest way we protect the house of God is becoming houses of prayer, individually, corporately, together. Watch out as we begin to take God at his word of what he will do with a group of people who pray. Let me remind you also, the single greatest reason pastors, leaders, people in general fall away from the Lord or find themselves in the spiritual ditch of apathy or devastation, the single greatest reason people fall is because their devotional life has gone to nil. If you look at a pastor who bottoms out and who falls into sin, you can every time trace it back to the prayer life began to cease and the devotional life and intimacy with the Lord began to waver. All of us are the same. Many of us know this right now. At one time you're on fire for the Lord, one time you're fired up, and all of a sudden you start to drift a little bit. You start to, you know, watch a little more TV and love the world a little bit more. You start to kind of pursue the things of materialism. You start to dream about money too much. And God's over here at one point, and he's not moving, but we are. You start to focus so much on the temporal things of life. You start to get distracted by the worldliness around you. You start to long for areas of sin and lust. You start to build habits of idolatry and just in, uh, infatuation with the things. And God is continually over there. He hasn't moved. We continually find ourselves moving farther and farther away. As we isolate ourselves from the Lord, we stop going to small groups so much. We're not interested in being accountable. We stop maybe church here and there. We start showing up late. We stop showing up at all. And all of a sudden, our devotional life has been brought to nothing. Christ is over there in all his power and victory. And we find ourselves in places of apathy and lethargy and we're miserable at the same time. It all begins with an intentional drift or unintentional drift too, but to understand, to get back, the single greatest power and thing we see is a true devotional, intimate life. And how can you stress the role of prayer more than that when it comes to seeking the Lord? Prayer is our lifeline to God. The greatest way we commune and have a conversation with the Lord is through a life of prayer. Now, watch this. Thomas Goodwin, he said this. He says, that our fallen nature is actually allergic to God. That's interesting. You know, some people will rightly say, well, the reason people don't, the reason Christians don't pray is because, you know, they don't know how, and that's true, or they find it boring, and that's true. Those are true. But we have to make sure we understand, I think the fundamental biblical reason, as I see it, apparently someone else sees it too, is because our flesh, man, just hates it. The old self within us, 
who has been crucified and yet allows to live for now and trying to steal us back and to, to, to hurt us, to draw us back to the ways of sin. I mean, I feel that every day. Do you feel that? I mean, even as we start like this prayer series, opposition ramps up. Yeah, is anyone else feeling that right now? I mean, I am. I mean, I just, even sinful flesh all of a sudden, I mean, the voices in my head, the accusations of my heart, you know, just the reality of the difficulty of pressing in the things that you're trying to preach and live. I was walking with Jill this week and just explained that to her and just, man, you preach a prayer series, the one thing you gotta expect is gonna be tough. You know, it's so much easier not to do this. Why? Here's why, here's why. Because our fallen sinful nature is actually allergic to God and never wants to get you close to him. That's why there's a battle right now. I'm so glad you're here, by the way. I'm so glad you showed up again, all right? I'm sure some of you wanted to sleep in this morning or do something else or all the reasons you shouldn't be here, but I'm so glad you are. Thus, our fallen nature constantly pulls us away from prayer. This is what we have to recognize. That's why this is so important, right? So you know, like you're like me, and you have a thought, I should go pray with my wife. And you start walking towards, you know, literally or metaphorically speaking, start walking towards you, all of a sudden you get distracted by something that's over here, and you turn there, or, hey man, I should pray with my kids right now. And all of a sudden you start to do that, and all of a sudden you start to feel like, man, I just feel like, oh, I'm so tired, or, you know, oh, you get sick, or you just, something happens, like, ah, oh, I'll do it tomorrow, whatever happens. It's amazing. The moment you, I'm going to go to the prayer meeting this Wednesday. We have a prayer meeting this Wednesday. Did you know that? 7 p.m., baby, 7 p.m. And you're like, I'm going to the prayer meeting right now. And then Wednesday comes along. We always say it. It's so true, man. It's the worst, worst traffic in the history of Toronto, right? All the kids are melting down, man. They're like, some of them are throwing up at home and stuff like that. You get in a fight with your spouse or so your boss at work is an unusual jerk to you that day. And all of a sudden, all the days. And just you try to pray and you're like, ah, I'm too tired to pray. Ah, I can't do it anymore. Fight through it, man. Fight through it. I'll, I'll try to fight through it too, all right? We'll see what the Lord does with that. It's amazing because, because the enemy is terrified of a house of prayer and our flesh, I mean, our flesh is so against it as well, which if you turn to it, you see what it is and you're like, okay, man, I see what's happening right now. I am not, I'm not, I'm not gonna fall prey to this right now. I'm gonna push through and seek to pray whether I feel like it or not. Now, as we continue on in our series right here in this massively important series, when it comes to being a house of prayer, Many of us will be saying this, well, where do I start? And of course, last week we did a lot of that too, but I think we gotta keep kind of circling around to gather people on or just like, what do I do from here? Or again, Robbie, where do I start when it comes to being a housewife? If you're asking that question, you find yourself in very good company. Luke 11, verse one, check it out. You find yourself in very good company. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. Now Jesus was praying, yes. Yes, he was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Let's stop there for a second. Jesus is praying. Notice, the disciples are watching. And when Jesus finishes... One of the disciples goes up on behalf of the rest because he says, Lord, teach us to pray. That's what he says. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, would you teach us to do what you were just doing? Lord, will you teach us to become houses of prayer? And so what follows now in Luke chapter 11 is a wonderful outline of the prayer-filled life. Luke 11, 1 to 13 becomes three individual components of a powerful prayer life in Christ. Admittedly, these could be three separate sermons, 
But I want us to see the progression from verse 1 to verse 13. It's like they all connect and they grow in momentum. So right now you're like, man, like, why pray? How pray? Uh, what's the incentive to pray? We're going to see all those right now through this text. So here's, here's the first thing when it comes to a prayer-filled life in the words of Jesus. Number one is this. My inclination, three eyes today, my inclination must be to pray. It must be my inclination. It must be my another eye you could put as instinct. My instinct as a Christ follower must be to pray. So look at verse 2. And Jesus answered them. He said to them, when you pray, notice not if you pray. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Now this is one of the better known passages in all of scripture. Especially the Matthew 6 version, which is a strong parallel. And adds a couple of phrases. You know, you're going through the Lord's Prayer this week and you're studying it. And you just recall, man, I remember growing up in public school. And we said the Lord's Prayer every day. Remember that? My, how the world has changed, hasn't it? I mean, that, that's just like, I mean, just like, it was just common understanding, saying the national anthem, and then you said the Lord's Prayer. I mean, I'm not that old, right? Thanks a lot. Yeah. And that wasn't that long ago. That's just like a few decades ago. And it was like standard in the public school system that you would recite the Lord's Prayer. Again, it's just a... It's just amazing to see how, how much things have changed. But loved ones, Jesus Christ is still building his church, amen? He's building his church, whether this is sent in public school or not, man. He's, he's raising up his people to do this thing. So when Jesus says here, he says, when you pray, say. When you pray, say, which indicates this is a prayer that is to be used as is within the church. It is not wrong, it is right to pray this prayer in this form. Matthew 6, though, Matthew's gospel version says this. It says, uh, Jesus says, pray then like this. And both are true. Pray then like this, meaning the Lord's Prayer is a model to be used in prayer. And Christ followers have been doing both for centuries. It is right to take this prayer and to repeat it as long as you don't make it some kind of ritual that becomes some religious kind of like just saying that has nothing in your heart. Remember, when you're praying, you always got to make sure your heart's engaged. You always got to think about what am I doing right now? Who am I praying to? And we're going to see that in a second. But it's a great model for prayer as well, which is so appropriate. And we're going to break down that model just in a moment as well. But the single greatest takeaway from this first section I want to see, my inclination must be to pray. Okay, We must be men and women and children of prayer. Martin Holt made this provocative statement. He said this, and I hope it startles you a little bit. On the screen, he says, Without prayer, a man cannot be a Christian. Just look at that. Without prayer, a woman cannot be a Christian. He's like, well, is that, is that right? Is that fair? Oh, is it going to kind of troubles me a little bit? I go, whoa, whoa, is that a little harsh? Is that a little severe? I don't, I, don't, I don't think it is severe. I think it's very true. Martin Luther said this. He says, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible to be alive without breathing. It's like when a baby's born, right? And um, they come out of their mother's womb, and then the baby gives out a cry and takes his first breath. 
If the baby is, 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 is alive, that happens. The, the baby must, must breathe as it enters into the oxygen filling the lungs world now. And as a Christian is born again, spiritually, and comes alive in Jesus Christ, there's a relationship that has been supernaturally made between the living God and this finite human being, and it must be proven with an intimacy and communication of prayer and devotion. In fact, lovelins, it's theologically impossible for that not to happen. A genuine devotion and communion with God if you're truly alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. So no, a a man cannot truly be a Christian and never pray. There's bad days, good days, bad seasons, good seasons. The reality is, that's how important prayer is. It's one of the proofs that we are in relationship again with the Lord. I love in verse 1, Jesus himself is praying. Why is that significant? Well, Jesus was fully God. And he was fully man. And yet he prayed. Isn't that humbling? I mean, Jesus is God on earth and he's praying to his Father. So the disciples, they're watching him praying. They're captured by his praying. You notice in verse 1 there, it says, When he finished... One of his disciples went up to him. So this is really amazing. So Jesus is praying over here, and the disciples are watching. They are observing, and they're waiting till he's done. Whatever's happening right there, as soon as he's finished, they walk up to him, and they're like, Jesus, man, whatever's going on there, you got to teach us to do the same. Okay? Like, Jesus, like whatever we're, whatever we're seeing, whatever you're doing right now, apparently that's powerful. Apparently this is, this is, this is getting uh, progress for the kid. Apparently there's something magnetic going on as they watch Jesus, the Son of God, pray to his Father to the point that as soon as he's done, Jesus, get me some of that. Can you teach me how to pray? Because that obviously is a higher level of living as you're communicating with your Father. Lord, we want to know and we want to be the same. They're observing, they're observing the intimacy of Jesus with the Father. Powerful. You know what's so interesting too is Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach. His disciples never went up to him and said, Lord, teach us how to preach. But they did say, teach us how to pray. And the Lord did teach them how to pray as well. And this is happening right now. Notice too within the Lord's Prayer, I want you to see, notice all the pronouns in the Lord's Prayer are plural. Notice that, um, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. As we ourselves, lead us not into temptation. What we're noticing here, right here in the Lord's Prayer, this is, a, this is meant to be a corporate form of prayer. This is not individualistic. This is, this is praying for one another. This is praying with one another. So there's no secret this church we're passionate about corporate prayer. Here's why. We're just trying to be obedient. We're just trying to be obedient. Like this is this is evidently the model of the prayer of prayers that is to be done and for one another as sons and daughters of the king as people belonging to the church of God. That's why this Wednesday this prayer meeting is such a big deal. That's why it's really the furnace of our church every month, the third Wednesday of every month. Almost without exception. We gather to pray, to be obedient, what the Lord has called us to do. So this Wednesday, doors open 6 o'clock. Pray with the pastor if you want. 6.30, prayer meeting starts around 7 o'clock. 
Did I mention we have a prayer meeting this Wednesday at 7? This Wednesday at 7. I want to start to annoy you how much I say that because I just want us to believe in the power and the beauty and the blessing. And honestly, again, this is no secret too. We're trying to make these gatherings right here, we're trying to make these gatherings more and more kind of prayer meetings. And I hope, and I hope on some level, some of us are like, oh, that's a, that's a little bit stretching. Yeah, it's, but it's awesome. Why? Because look, well, look, look. It's who we're supposed to be. So many different ways we can do this. But to understand that God uses prayer and how powerful it is and for one another, and I'm just praying more and more, we're growing in this, and we're not afraid of it, but we embrace it. And remember, even when we have the opportunities right now, we will recognize, man, my, my flesh doesn't want to do it. All the more reason to do it. Satan's so terrified. All the more reason to press in and to step out of our comfort zones and to say, God, Father, hallowed be your name. Give us this day our daily bread. Excited for this Wednesday, 7 p.m. God, use it, use it so powerfully. And also, notice the corporate nature of the Lord's Prayer here. Remember our challenge of this series? The challenge of this series is each time you come into the building for um, a message or for a service in this series, the challenge is to pray with or for someone before you leave. That's the challenge. Some of you have done that already today. Bless your hearts. And I just, I just continue to say, man, God, will you lead me the ability to pray? For, can I pray for you? Can I pray with you? The ability to pray with someone before you leave the building today in order to love other members in the body of Christ. And then hopefully, I mean, that would become, imagine that happened all the time, like just an ongoing, just desire we wanted to do that. Every one of us, we came in, we would seek to be praying with someone or for someone. Man, that'd be just so beautiful, wouldn't it? It'd be so powerful. So what I want to do now is I understand the overall point here, my inclination must be to pray. When we come to the Lord's Prayer now specifically, um, we've taught on this in the past in great detail. So I'm not looking to be exhaustive at all because I just don't have time to do it. But I want to just break this down into four main categories as a model of prayer. And I'm going to go through it briefly right here. This will be on the screen, but I want you to see this right now. Okay, so if we go over here and we see the Lord's Prayer, what's happening here? As a model for prayer, the first thing is worship, right? Uh, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now remember, as a, as a, as a model for prayer in the Lord's Prayer, Father, right? Um, this is relationship. This is intimacy, um, this is a theme through this text here too. Again, when, 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 when you and I stop and we're about to pray, and I, this helps me so much when I do this, I say, okay, right now, I am a son of the king. I am praying to my father who is in heaven. I mean, we sang today, good, good father. Like, if you really believe that, it starts to turn some stuff over in your heart. Like, my perfect heavenly father cares for me more than I can ever imagine, and now, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Just, just the word Father. I mean, can you really believe you get to address him as Abba Father? Really? Really? Like with all our sin, all our, all our gross sin and stuff that just, you know, just, and he looks at us and loves us and has cleansed us. And we get to call him Father? And you get to address him in prayer? And he listens to you as the perfect father does to his child? Really? Yep. You address him, Father, hallowed be your name. A hallowed reverence, awe, veneration, worship. The prayer begins of the seeing before we run to the requests. Hallowed be your name. So the model of prayer is worship, and by worship is worth-ship. Literally. The worth of God. 
you, you, you tell him how worthy he is. Hallowed be your name. And then we see this next, the next part of the Lord's Prayer. A kingdom of God. Your kingdom come. Okay, Daniel Henderson says this, not all prayer requests are created equal. Meaning, sometimes we pray things, or all, I think all prayers are legit, but some prayers are less than others. So are your prayers kingdom prayers? Or are your prayers kind of non-kingdom prayers? Are they your little kingdom prayers? Or are they actually God's kingdom prayers? One of the best ways we find out if our prayers are kingdom-centered, here's a quote, it's right here. He says this, John Bryson, if Jesus answered all of your prayers in the last 30 days, would anything change in the world or just your world? That's good. Stop, pause, apply. Think about that. What are we asking for the Lord? And if, if we got everything that we're asking for, would it be our little kingdom that is being transformed? Or would it actually be God's kingdom beyond for the gospel in this world? You know, your kingdom come, that is a prayer for Jesus' return now. But it's also a prayer that your kingdom be established here and now until you return. Let's see people saved in Christ. Let's see marriages restored. Let's see the lost found. Let's see reconciliation. Let's see the gospel go forth. Let's see churches planted. Your kingdom come, O God. And Matthew 6 says, on earth as it is in heaven. So our prayers must be kingdom focused. God's kingdom. We go back to this next. We see this dependence, right? Give us this day our daily bread. Physical dependence. When this prayer in the ancient world, when this was being said, man, daily bread was legit. Like, and I always say this too when, like, when we're praying this. Discipline yourselves, loved one. When you open the fridge today, do not take for granted that there's food and water in there. Like it's powerful to open it up and be like, I cannot believe. Like, like, like sometimes I open our fridge, you know, and you just see a variety of things that are in there and I find myself, I just saying, I just go, wow, praise the Lord or thank you, God, or I just, I just even, even to myself, I will not take this for granted. I refuse to think that's normal to open up a fridge and to have a variety of options. To see a pantry open and to see sustenance there that we might live. I just, I mean, it just, it's grace, it's God's provision. You didn't earn it. I didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's powerful to look at the simple things of life and to say, that's my daily bread by the grace of God and his provision. But then we say, forgive us our sins. That's spiritual dependence now. That is like the gospel. The gospel's in the Lord's prayer. And forgive us our sins as we forgive others. The, the, the forgiveness we received in Christ, God, we depend on you for this, that we would extend that to others as well. So like models of prayer, worship, kingdom of God, dependence, and then we see the last one here, protection, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. Why? Well, you know, lead us not into temptation, it says, in Matthew 6, deliver us from evil. Well, because the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour so lead us not into temptation. Again, in this passage, Matthew 6, deliver us from evil, said there. That's so important. These are categories that you can take as a model for prayer. And I suggest to you, you start unpacking these four categories in a prayer, and you start with, with worship for the, for the Father and kingdom. And I mean, I bet you could, you could roll off 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes like that. You could stand in front of your fridge and pray for 10 minutes probably now, right? Thank you for my specialty coffee, Lord. 
thank you for the carrots in the corner. I mean, whatever. It just, it's just so powerful to recognize all. My inclination must be to pray. Moves us to number two. My invitation now, loved ones, is to be persistent in prayer. My invitation is to be persistent in prayer. Look at verse 5. Again, watch the progression. Every section is prayer-based. It's one growing on top of another, okay? So the Lord's prayer notice leads into this, verse 5. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend? Jesus is a really good preacher, so now what he's doing is providing illustrations to back up what he just commanded. Which of you as a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, Jesus says, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, notice that, that because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So this, this little parable has an unexpected guest coming at midnight. It's quite something... Now, the guy's probably his friends traveling at midnight. Commentators speculate because it was cooler to travel then. His supply of bread is gone, and he goes to his friend's house. So if, if, if a visitor in the ancient days, when, if a visitor arrived at your house and you had no food, that was like unthinkable. Like it was unthinkable to not provide something for a guest when they came. So he sees this. He's like, wow, I need something. He goes to his friend's house and says, hey, hey, I need three loaves. I need three loaves. Only last um, last week it was Thanksgiving, and I was at my my sister's place, and she moved into a new place with her family. She's kind of north of Barrie up there, and first time I was there, but we were um, preparing uh, the dinner. When I say we, I mean really my mom and dad were, and uh, they were trying to make gravy, and uh, realized we had no flour, and so um, kind of look around and say maybe we should go ask one of the neighbors. It was the first time I've ever been there, or whatever. I'm just gonna listen to that and say, all right, I'll I'll, I'll go, you know. So. And it's a street and the kind of house is a little farther apart, whatever. So I just found myself with this little kind of like, you know, um, measuring spoon thing, whatever. Kind of walking across the street and uh, on a Sunday afternoon and went to this house. These people were kind of doing a thing and knocking on their door. And, I, you know, they don't know me from anyone. And just like, hey, uh, I'm Robbie. My sister lives over there. And do you have any flour? <laughs> and they were super nice, man. They were, they were super nice. And they gave, they gave you flour and just kind of like knocking on the door and just say, like, we need your help. And going back over and the gravy was great. All in favor of gravy? Amen. Yeah, so good. So good. So that was worth the trip, right? So anyways, that's really what's happening within our text here. But listen, the older man is already in his bed with his children. And anyone, which is common in these days to have um, a whole family with one room house a one-room house that was very common another reason to be thankful loved ones all that god is we're so blessed aren't we it's ridiculous how much god has entrusted us with just ridiculous so if you're a parent and you're sleeping with your family in a one-room house and your kids are asleep what's the one thing you don't want to happen you don't want to wake up. You know, when the kids wake up, man, you might be getting no sleep for the rest of the night. So parents understand this, right? The guy's like, no, 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 man, my kids are sleeping. Leave me alone. I'm not getting up. But the friend's persistent. He will not give up. The man finally relents. He gets up and he gives him bread. Notice again verse 8. Verse 8 says, it's not his friendship that wins the day. Jesus explicitly says it wasn't because they were friends that the guy got up. The reason he got up is because he was being annoyed to the point that he knew if he didn't get up, his friend wouldn't stop. That's profound to me in terms of the lesson that Jesus is teaching on prayer. He's inviting, he's explicitly inviting us to be persistent in prayer to the point. Literally, literally, 
Uh, impudence here, persistence, is shameless. Without modesty. It's a rare Greek word that's combining all these things together. There's a boldness, but again, there's a shamelessness here. And it's the shame. He's like, he's like, he's like, leave me alone. I'm going to bed. And the friend's like, nope. I need bread. Go away. My kids are sleeping. The guy's like, I'm staying here until you give me bread, brother. And the guy's like, fine. I'll give you bread. And Jesus says, I mean, this is what's amazing to me. This is how we are to pray. In case you think that we're kind of misinterpreting this in some form, look at verse 9. Jesus again, he's, and I tell you, ask, watch the progression, it will be given, seek, and you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. And just in case you missed that, verse 10, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now remember, verses 9 and 10 follow verses 5 and 8, and verses 5 and 8 follow verses 1 and 4. Jesus is building this powerful thesis on prayer. And he's telling us right now, really he's saying this, if you come to my house at midnight and if you keep asking, Jesus says, eventually I will answer. If you keep seeking me, if you don't give up, you will find me. If you keep knocking, my door will be opened unto you. And Jesus looks at us, look right here, look right here, look right here. Jesus says, how serious are you about prayer? Is it a one and done? Jesus seems to be saying, I'm looking for those who believe by faith and will keep knocking and believing by faith that the persistent form of prayer, the shameless approach in prayer, will be found with God opening the door. Remember this too, right? I think this is very important. Persistent prayer doesn't change God. It changes us. Right, like when we really press into the Lord, our character starts to change. Um, our faith changes, our dependence changes. We change in the process of depending upon God through persistent prayer. We find out again a lot of what we're made of. The progression, see this, okay? Ask, ask, right? So you stand there and you're asking something and seeking, notice, that's, that's more than that. Seeking is now, okay, now I'm walking towards, I'm pursuing, and then knocking is I'm here, let's go. That's the progression there. There's, there, 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 there's an increasing fervency of petition. Ask, seek, and then let's go knock. I love that too, you know, um, the reality of this persistent prayer. There, there are souls in this room right now that are alive in Jesus Christ because people have not given up praying for you to the Lord of glory. Like That's just a fact, man. There are people all over this room right now. You are alive in the Lord Jesus Christ because people loved you enough. They would not stop knocking on the door of heaven for your soul that you might be saved from death and hell. I mean, that's humbling. I remember, like, when I got saved at 22, I had a pretty dramatic conversion, man. It was night and day. And I remember standing up at the church we belonged to at that time, and I gave my testimony, and I sat down, and I had some lady in front of me. She turned around, and she says, you know, I was in your mother's prayer group, and we prayed for you for years. And I was like, thank you? You know, I'm just like, like, 
That's humbling, right? You're just like, wow. Like, you know, and there I was, like living my own life for so many years and such a moron and doing all the things I want to do. And there's this group of women and my parents specifically praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And I'm still an idiot and still doing so many dumb things and still living for myself and praying and praying and praying and praying. And then bam! Lord enters in and everything changes in a moment. And then you're left to look around and go, what just happened, man? God heard the prayers of his people. And by his grace, he set them free. It's awesome. Don't you give up your loved ones that you long for. Don't you give up. God, help us to believe. Again, look at what Jesus is telling us today. You can't miss it. He's inviting you and I to persevere and persist in prayer to the point that I want to suggest that that actually bothers him. You see, where are you getting that? Well, the New Testament evidence for persistent prayer, look at, um, or let me just recall um, Luke 18, the persistent widow. And in the text, again, Jesus teaching on prayer, he says, In this illustration, because this widow keeps bothering me, this is the judge talking, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. And then out of teaching that, Jesus says this in Luke 18, he says this. This is his whole point. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Look look at what Jesus is saying. Pick up what Jesus is putting down. Consider what the New Testament says about persistent prayer. Here's another verse. He says this. Be constant in prayer. Another verse. This is my verse this morning in in my readings. I was so encouraged. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful with thanksgiving. Another verse. Pray without ceasing. There's a bit of a theme developing here, eh, loved ones? You know, the Lord's telling us something. Here's another verse. Uh, Ephesians 6. Praying at all times. In the spirit, love that, with all prayer and supplication. And then that verse continues on. It says this. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all. The word all is used four times. All in regards to prayer. Apparently, the Lord has a few things to say about persistent prayer. Love it. Love it. Hey, what are you praying for? What are you praying for? You've given up a long time ago? It's time to be renewed. It's time to be renewed. Love the story of uh, Bartimaeus in the Gospels. He's a blind man. This is, Lord, make us like this. And he hears Jesus is coming and he cries out, Lord, have mercy on me, son of David. And the people around him are like, be quiet. Be silent. They rebuked him, it says. And then the text says, and he cried out all the more. Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me. And Jesus like, get him, bring him over here. Let's get this done. Awesome. Be quiet, man. Stop praying so much. Be silent. Who are you? I'm someone who believes in the power of prayer. I'm gonna cry it all the more. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. I will not give up. Powerful. The inclination must be to pray. My invitation is to persist in prayer. And thirdly, and I must be honest, probably my favorite, My incentive, number three, my incentive is the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, look at the flow of the text. Lord's Prayer, 
the parable on persistent prayer, and now he ends this prayer section with this right here. It's amazing to me. Look at how he ends here. Verse 11. Notice the theme of father from the beginning to the end now. Our father in heaven, now watch. What father among you, this is almost humorous, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent, right? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. So like, Jesus is teaching this. I'm sure some of the listeners, there's some kind of kids around here listening to this. They're like, you know, like what kind of dad he asks for a fish, gives him a snake. Like, they're kind of laughing. Oh, who would do that? Let's go down. Or he wants an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. <laughs> oh, Jesus is so funny. You know, that kind of stuff. But look what he's doing here. In verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's just, we got to sit on this for a second. No decent father in the history of the world would throw a snake at his son. No decent father in a sane mind in the history of the world when the son's like, hey, dad, can I get some breakfast? Yeah, here's a scorpion. Good luck. No one would ever do that. No one would ever do that. And Jesus' point here, he's just like, oh, and you might see a footnote beside verse 11. In verse 11, if a son asks for a bread, a father would give him a stone. So that's, that's, that's taking directly from Matthew 7, a very similar passage there. Hey, Dad, can I have a piece of bread? No, but here's a stone. Chew on that. No father's going to do that. No decent father will ever do that. Um, think, of, think of as a parent, or again, all of us have come from parents. You're a parent type. Think of when a child is in need, when a child is seriously hurt, when a child desires help or aid or provision. And as a parent, what rises up within you is you want to rush over and to provide, to meet, to care, to help, to heal, to be there as the protection of your child. You will step in front and you will gladly take the hurt if you can spare your... It's just innately within us as human beings. But here's the thing about human beings. We are sinful. We are innately evil. That's what he says. If you then who are evil... If you who are evil, you know how to give your child an egg as opposed to a scorpion. If you know that, how much, see what the text says, verse 13? How much more, how much more, how much more, how much more? How much more will an infinitely perfect heavenly father of all glory and good, how much more, how much more, how much more will the heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask? How much more will the heavenly father, how much more, how much more Will the heavenly father, and notice, notice what Jesus adds in here, will give the Holy Spirit. Greatest gift ever. By the way, in verse 13, this isn't the person of the Holy Spirit meaning like salvation, regeneration. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. How much more will the father give the power, the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Asking, seeking, knocking. Why is the Holy Spirit everything in our lives? Let's just do a little Bible study on the Holy Spirit here again. I love this so much. The Holy Spirit is the one. Think about this, okay? He's the one who regenerates us. He's the one who brings new life. It's 100% him, 0% us. 
The Holy Spirit caused to be born. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. We have a role in this, but at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit is the one who puts to death the sin in our lives. The Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit's the one who teaches us the word. He illuminates us. He allows us to see, open the eyes of my heart, the heart, eyes of your heart might be enlightened with spiritual wisdom and understanding. The Holy Spirit's the one who powers us for gospel witness. Uh, you will receive my spirit. You become witnesses for me and power of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Uh, there's more here. The Holy Spirit is the one who is our teacher and guide and comforter all through John 14, 16. We don't stand a chance without him. The Holy Spirit, the one who brings assurance of salvation. He's the guarantee of our inheritance. That's the Holy Spirit, his role. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray, Romans 8, when we don't know what to pray with groans that words cannot express. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray. He fuels us in this way. And of course, the Holy Spirit bears his fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. Loved ones, we don't stand a chance apart from the Holy Spirit. I'm just amazed at this passage in Luke 11. Lord's Prayer, the parable of prayer, and then we end with this. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? I mean, if you want to heighten your prayer request to the Lord right now, I think the Lord just gave it to you and to me. Some of you right now, you're fighting through sin. You are caught in sin. You are being ruined by sin. The Holy Spirit is the key to your victory over that sin. Some of you are so weak and so tired. Some of you are so frustrated. Some of you are just kind of groaning. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives you strength. Some of you right now, man, you're just lacking the knowledge you wish you had or you're just so confused and frustrated. The Holy Spirit is the one who's your teacher. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes and fills. Some of you right now, you're so burned by relationships. You are there and you are just being caught off and you're so sad or so angry. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes and turns your heart away from blaming to the one who allows you to see the sin in your own life but to see the brokenness and the grace and the repentance and the renewal and the restoration to God. And the Holy Spirit is the one who does that. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes and comforts us in our grief. Without the Holy Spirit, we, we have no chance.